Thank you. Well, good morning, church. Happy Lord's Day. And so uh, today we're going to preach on the gospel. And so as a minister for four years and serving in a church for uh, 14 years prior to when I stepped out in faith and opened that ministry, um, I know that you have to know your audience and know what they're going through because you're intimate with your people, with the congregation. And so I don't know you. And so I'm not your pastor. And so your pastor gives what is needed for times in which um, the Lord gives uh, the messages in which he bestows upon uh, your pastor to give unto you. And so I'm called to preach the gospel. And so I would like to give the gospel. And so we might say, George, we've been reformed uh, or we've been believers for so long. No. The gospel is not limited to the lost. We need the gospel every day because every day we forget the gospel. It is the gospel that keeps us to keep on keeping on. What everything that life throws at us prior to Sunday service with aggravations, frustrations, setbacks, headaches, decisions, financial problems, don't know where to put the money, you're lacking here, you're lacking there, doctor's reports. Man, those things make us forget the gospel. And so that's why when they cross over to Jordan, God said, put 12 stones here as a monument so that when generations come and they ask, what's that for? You'll let them know as a remembrance. That's why when we come to the Lord's table, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And if anything, it's the gospel. It's the table of suffering. It's the Lord's Supper. And so please, bear with me today as you hear again the gospel. Today we're going to be talking about the active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to thumb down the explanations. I'm not going to thumb down the theology, but I'm going to give it to what we're all going to understand. And I know the same way we came in is not the same way we're walking out. Amen? So let us pray, and then uh, we'll read the, the passage. Father, we ask in your son's name today that you would uh, illuminate us, Lord, with your scripture, that you would shine your light upon our hearts, Lord, to open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us to receive today. God, we pray today that um, we'll fall more in love with you, the triune God, your Son, and the Holy Spirit. We ask today, Father, that you would bless us to remind us of the beautiful first advent and the second advent that we are waiting upon the Christ to come for. That's what the Last Supper is. That even if we're not all called to be pastors, teachers, and preachers, we're all called to preach the gospel and partaking, Lord, of the Lord's Supper is preaching the gospel because your word declares in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we take it, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. So prepare our hearts, Lord, for the second advent by the word that you have for us today to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And so today we're going to be in Romans 5, and we're going to be reading from verses 12 to 19. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. 
But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reign through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is the word of the Lord. And so I just, uh, I had a lot of opportunities um, since I've uh, been in the CRC, praise God. And um, lately, in October, uh, just now recently is what I mean to say, um, I took a trip to Thailand and uh, Malaysia, stood 14 days, and uh, spent a lot of time with non-believers as well as believers. And so in that time, the last three days, um, it was more sightseeing than ministering and preaching and counseling and being um, with the people. And so in the last three days, one of the days of sightseeing, I told my group, I can't go. And I know I should be strong um, and not have said that. And I'll tell you why in a second. I'm getting there. It's because when you're in Thailand or in Malaysia, but mostly Thailand, Every three blocks is a statue. Every three blocks is an idol. Um, I know I'm giving a figure of speech, but it truly is like McDonald's everywhere you turn. And uh, people are lighting incense, and they're putting soda and food, um, and they're truly worshiping these, these idols. Um, they brought me there to preach on a Sunday service there on the Nebuchadnezzar, the Three Men in the Fire, which was much called for. And so the reason I couldn't go anymore is because the church told me, um, you, you, you can't go out and convert. You can't go out and share with the people. You can't do that because it's not a general law. It's a law that is a decree that if you want to preach Hinduism, you could preach Hinduism. If you want to preach um, the Chinese gods, you could preach those gods as well. But Jesus Christ must stay in the building. And so they told me how that when they have a Muslim convert to Christianity, it's kind of like the witness protection program, that that person still has to worship Allah um, in front of their family, but Jesus in their hearts and minds. And so that's why I just couldn't go out there anymore, is because if I can't talk to them, if I can't share with them, and these are beautiful people, these non-believers, in fact, act more Christian than the Christians act Christian, which is sad. And so... To see these beautiful people um, that are kind and nice and they were so warming to me. And I see that their culture doing what they was doing. And I can't at least present um, this to them. And so I was accountable to my group. I was accountable to the people, to the Christian school that I was at. And I didn't want to cause a problem or trouble. And so it hurt me. And so why did I give that message? It's because... 
every idol, every religion, even every false Christian religion, the idol or the object of their worship demands that the person, the human, satisfies, appease it. And so we serve a perfect God. We serve a perfect Jesus. And so I want to talk about the active and passive obedience. I want to let you know right now that the righteous, just demand, not the unfair one, is that God demanded perfection. You can't go to heaven. You can't enter into eternal life with a lot of bit of good and a little bit of bad. It's not a scale. Every religion out there has scales, and that's what these people, these beautiful people, um, think is truly the way to enter into eternal life. That I could be a good person, good enough to appease a God who created everything that was ever created, and he'll be satisfied with my work and um, my good would outweigh the bad. Christianity is the only Christianity that makes sense, or is the only religion that makes sense. It's truly by grace, and so we're going to get into it, and so we're going to maybe take a few scriptures out, out of what we just read for time's sake. And so, look what it says in um, Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And so there had to be a price for this original sin in the garden. And so if I was to ask, um, give, me the, give me the answer of what was happening in the garden. What, what did Adam do? What, what was the sin that he committed? And if our answer is only um, he disobeyed God, that would be a general answer. That would be a right answer, but that would only be 50% of the answer. Because on the same side of the coin... On the flip side of that same coin, not only did he disobey God, but he obeyed the devil. That's what he did. And so how do, how do we know that? In Ephesians 2, it declares that you once were dead in sin, following the course of the world, the prince of the air, but depending on what translation you're reading, obeying the devil. That's what happens when we are born. We are obeyers of Satan. I don't care if you raised reform. I don't care if you grew up and your father was the pastor. You wasn't saved when you was born. You experienced grace as well. I don't care if you don't have a story that you was on drugs or, 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 or you lived on the streets or you was homeless. You have a story of experiencing the grace of God that you have been saved, regenerated, and born again by God himself. Even if you grew up good. You don't get good to get God. You get God, and then you start getting good. But you need God to get God. Without God, you can't have God. <laughs> if that makes any sense. And so what had to happen was Jesus had to come. And passively, before I get into the act of obedience, passively, Isaiah 53, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. yet to not open his mouth. So my question that I want to pose today is, if that's all it took was the cross, how come Christ didn't just come, die on the cross, and ascend back to the kingdom of heaven? 
Because on that cross, sin had to be paid for. And when he paid for it, we was declared innocent. We was declared holy. But we wasn't, we didn't have a righteousness of our own. We needed to deserve heaven. It was by works and by a relationship, but it wasn't ours. And so it wasn't just the cross that saved us. It was the act of obedience. But we needed the cross. In fact, if he wasn't a sinless, perfect lamb, living a sinless, perfect life, then in his humanity, he wouldn't qualify to be the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world because God demands perfection. And so we had no hope. We were dead in our sins. Jeremiah 17.9 says that we, our heart is desperately wicked. Who could trust it? In today's society, in the world, secular view is follow your heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. Trust it. The word of God declares don't trust it. It's desperately wicked. That's why in Ezekiel 36.26 you need a new heart. That's how God born against you. That's the work that he's doing in order for you to be regenerated, which means rebirth, which means born again, which means born from above. And so we had no chance. We had no hope. Romans 3, 9, and 10, because of sin, because of us being dead when we was born, we wasn't seekers of God. It says, no one is good. No, not one. No one seeks God. The word no one is a double universal negative. And it's not given an affirmative, a positive. It's given a negative. It's not affirming. It's a negative sense, no one, meaning no, not one. Anyone, no one. No one seeks God. Even if you was raised in church, you wasn't seeking God. You might have been religious, but you didn't know God until you knew God had you. And maybe you can't remember that day, maybe you can't remember that time or that date, but it happened. And so for the glory of God, let's go into the act of obedience. Jesus came into this world. He came perfect and holy and sinless. The virgin birth was necessary. The spirit of God conceived Jesus Christ because he wasn't born in sin. And spirit gives birth to spirit. Just as you are born again in your spirit. But we'll get to that later. And in verse 19, it declares this in Romans 5. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, it takes a perfect relationship with the Father to enter into eternal life. Like I said, you can't enter into heaven by the cross alone. And it's not cross plus. Everything is Jesus only. It's, it's Jesus alone. And so when Christ died on that cross, it's because he was qualified in his humanity as a sinless, spotless lamb. Matthew 5.48, it says this, You must be perfect, as our heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. Salvation is sinless perfection. And so what happened is when Jesus declared this, it was a just and righteous command of God because God is perfect. 
But in verse 17 of Romans 5, and I know it's not up there, but I'm just going to read it. Uh, not Romans 5, Matthew 5, I'm sorry. Look what it says in verse 17 of Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so when he says be perfect, I've talked to Christian brothers, and they're brothers in the Lord, and they think that when Jesus said perfect, he meant mature. And so I tell them, but it, it's perfect as your heavenly father is have, in heaven is perfect. If mature means to grow up, so, so are you saying we have to grow up like God has, has to grow up? Does God grow up? God says what he means, and he means what he says. He says you have to be perfect. That was his just demand because God is perfect. But Christ said, I came to fulfill that. I came to be perfect. I came to live the life you couldn't live and die to death. You should have died. And so salvation does come by sinless perfection, but Christ completed that in his 33 and a half years in this world. That's grace. Grace is not just a five-letter word that we just throw around. Grace is a person. And it's the person of Jesus. We did not deserve Christ to come and live a perfect, sinless, spotless life. For his holy feet to touch this ground. For him to be tempted by every sin known to man, but yet be without sin. For him who knew no sin, didn't have a relationship with sin, did not commit sin, did not indulge in sin, did not entice, was not enticed by sin, was tempted. But who did not sin became our sin. So that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So how do we receive this sinless perfection? Because I need to enter into heaven with some righteousness of my own. Well, I just quoted it, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And before I go into it, I want to say this as, a, as an explanation. I told you I thumb it down by giving, uh, this is my way of thumbing it down. I just give easy explanations, easy, easy stories, examples, um, metaphors. And so if your house was in white and it's a mansion, <coughs> And it's in 24 karat gold leaf. I mean, this house is thebomb.com. And I come to your house because you invited me, and I'm dressed in a white Hugo Boss, um, Calvin Klein tuxedo, whatever your preference is. And, I open a, and you open the door, and I mean, I look great. Your house looks great. I'm in a white tux. Um, but you notice one little speck of dirt on my shoe. And like, I'm waiting for you to invite me in, but you're, you're not letting me in. And I'm like, what's the problem? You can't come in. But why? You got a speck of dirt, and my house is beautiful, and it will, you, that's not gonna hide. It's not, it's white. My house is white and 24 karat gold leaf. And so I said, but 99% of me is like clean, like, just a little piece of dirt. You're not going to let me in. How would God let us in with a lot of bit of good and a little bit of bad into his eternal and forever kingdom? And so, back to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Now I'll bring it to light. And so on that cross, when you believed Jesus Christ, there was a great exchange. It's called double imputation. The word imputed means to ascribe and accredit by grace. 
he accredit to you his perfect righteousness, that your spirit is perfected, your spirit is blameless, your spirit is sinless. That's why Second Corinthians 5, 8, Paul says to be absent from the bodies to be present from, is to be present with the Lord. Your perfect body is awaiting one day. So when we depart, if I die today, my, my spirit enters into heaven because Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, Nicodemus, you can't do this. You go into your mother's womb. You can't, you can't go in. You can't come out. You can't reverse. You can't go forward with this. This is not something of your own doing. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So on that cross, it was a great exchange. Jesus took your sins as though he lived your life. And he gave you his perfect righteousness. Perfect. You must be perfect as your heavenly father in heaven is perfect. And in exchange is as though you lived his life. And so our response to that of Christ's active and passive obedience, passively, he was led, as I said earlier, as a sheep to the slaughter, yet did not open his mouth. And actively, he lived a perfect, holy, sinless, blameless life. Actively. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it, to appease the Father in the perfect works of his holy life and in the perfect works of his death on the cross. That's why he said to Telestai, it is finished. And so our response to that is, not just coming to church, that's a byproduct. That's something we do. That's an automatic. I put my foot on the brake and I put it in drive. I take my foot off the brake, the car is going to roll. It's loving one another. It's loving our God. It's enjoying our God now and, and forever. I see a lot of people in the Reformed reform faith and, and, and a lot of people in the, Baptist, in the Baptist faith, not a lot, but some, and, and all they preach is the eternal salvation part. And so I just want to end with our response. It's, it's just not eternal. It's not just about eternal life. I mean, it's a.k.a. eternal security. In Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, um, he chose us before the foundations of the world to be in Christ. He chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world and to be holy. Verse 5, this was his purpose, his will, his doing, his good pleasure. Depending on what translation you got. And so if, if, if it's all about eternal salvation, eternal salvation, it can't be lost and it can't be forfeited, you can't walk away, then you chose God according to your purpose. I'm not going to go to hell. I'll take two of those, Jesus. You only need one. Give me him. I'll take him. He chose us according to his purpose. And his purpose is not just for eternal life. It's for the right now life. The life that he gave us today right now means just as much to him and it should mean just as much to us as it does for the eternal one that's to come. To enjoy our God forever, we got all forever to enjoy our God. Right now is the time to enjoy him. Fulfill your ministry. Live a repented, holy life by coming to the Lord in 1 John 1, 9 for relationship. It's not a salvational thing there. It's for relationship. That we have two guarantees it's not just eternal life. It's not just John 3, 16. It can't be lost. It can't be forfeited. That's not the only guarantee we have in the Reformed faith. And I'm not saying that only the Reformed faith has this guarantee. But let's make it personal. The second guarantee that we have is living in the fruit of repentance, Acts 20, 26. 
that it's a promise, Philippians 1, 6, that he who began the good work will complete it to the day of redemption. And so justification is monergistic, meaning God working alone. Everybody agrees on that. But sanctification, which means grown in holiness, is God working alone too. But it's not effortless. Justification by faith alone and being saved by Christ is effortless. It's God and God only. Sanctification, grown in holiness, is also monergistic, God working alone. But it's not effortless. Read your word. Continue to read your word. Talk to God about your sins. Don't let them be buried. Confess them unto him. Give him him the time in your life to help you fulfill your ministry by enjoying him and doing what he's called you to do. Give it to this church. Volunteering. Preaching the gospel. Living holy to do all that is God's promise for us. Paul says, if I don't, then I'm disqualified. So the Lord loves you, and he wanted to remind you today of the gospel. Not that you need me to, but it's just nice to be reminded of the gospel. And so, let us pray. Father, in the name of your son Jesus, um, we thank you for gathering us here together today as the body of Christ, as believers, as children of God. Um, Today, Lord, I implore um, that anybody here today that has not made that decision to confess Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would hem them in right now with a question that they need to ask themselves. Why am I not calling upon the name of the Lord? And I pray for those of us here today that are children of God that will start enjoying our God as dear children. Whatever anybody's going through today, through today, Lord, let them know that according to your word in the book of Hebrews in the fourth chapter, that they have a high priest who can sympathize with them, who can embrace them and know all their sufferings, that no matter if they are not getting phone calls from their family, if no one's really texting them or, or not caring for their well-being, even after all their love and all their effort and all their money they, they put into their family members and friends and they ain't getting that back in return, let them know that don't matter. What matters is, is that they have someone who does care and who does love them. And that, Father, you will show your presence in their hearts. Make it known to them so that they can keep on keeping on and enjoying you forever, but also now in this life, the right now life, the temporary life. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.